welcome to the Battle and the Bride. Hello, everyone. My name is Seth Dean, and I thank you for joining me for my sermon on missiology. The passage that we're going to be studying today comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. So if you please turn with me to Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, I will be reading from the New King James Version. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. It is eternal. It is good. It is glorious. And Lord, it is edifying to all of us. It teaches us about Christ. It teaches us to be more like Christ. And Father, I pray that as we study this passage, that these words that Christ read aloud in the synagogue, and his declaration to all who heard, Lord, it would permeate our souls, and it would change the way we think about him and the way we think about us. And I pray all this would be done by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I prepared this sermon, it was during the Advent season. It's after Christmas now. But during the Advent season, we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are preparing to celebrate the Incarnation. And we find ourselves in church often reading from the book of Luke. and. The problem is, even though there's a very little problem, one of the issues that we might have as we do this year after year is we become familiar with many of the passages in the first three chapters of Luke. We may have several portions of it almost committed to memory. And the issue with that is that we understand it at a very basic, cursory level, enough to get us through a Christmas Eve service. Now, that's a problem because we begin to tune out the Bible when those passages are read to us any other day of the year. And when this happens, we overlook monumental truths that have been purposely written into the text by the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit. When we do that, we miss key plot points. Key plot points, because suddenly we think we're just taking in the same old information. Instead, the Lord has given the writers of the Bible, the books of the Bible, like Luke, Paul's friend, his missionary friend, his companion, and his physician. He's given Luke the ability to explain these life-changing truths in distilled and impactful ways so that you and I can live by them. 
So this passage, this passage in chapter 4, is one such passage. It is so impactful because it conveys an earth-shattering declaration by Jesus. And it builds upon the themes that are found in the first three chapters. These ideas that were already laid down in chapters 1 through 3. So what is that earth-shattering truth? Well, the main idea in this declaration, this proclamation, is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And in Luke 4, chapter, in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, Luke teaches us the incredible manner in which Jesus announced to his hometown the truth that he is the anointed one of God. Why? So that we too can be sure of his appearing and bold in declaring him to all as the Christ. And we're going to look at this passage in three different ways. We're going to look at it first. We're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit in verses 14 through 17. Next, we're going to see the anointed ministry of the Messiah in a favorable year. We're going to see that described in verses 18 through 20. And then lastly, we will look at the bold proclamation, the proclamation in verse 21. Now, as we start out this passage in verse 14, we see the Holy Spirit's anointing on Jesus Christ, and it empowered him for his spectacular ministry. It starts out, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The power of the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. We see this throughout this book so far, throughout Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 1, verses 35, we see that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3, verses, verse 22, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form upon Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and then led into the wilderness by the Spirit, in order to withstand temptation by the devil. He was going to confront the devil in the wilderness. Uh, the, the writer of, of Hebrews says that we, we don't have a high priest who doesn't commiserate with us. He, in every way, was tempted the same way that we were, and yet he didn't fall. He didn't sin. And so we see that happen in the wilderness specifically, right before this, this declaration, right before we come to our passage. Now, did this mean that Jesus Christ uh, was, wasn't divine until the Holy Spirit um, descended upon him? And the answer is no. The Holy Spirit has always dwelt in Christ. The Holy Spirit has always dwelt in Christ. And in fact, uh, Paul says in Colossians that the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell in him. So Jesus was never not eternal God. He is the eternal Son. John Calvin says that now, now that the full time is come for preparing to discharge the office of Redeemer, he is clothed with a new power of the Spirit, and that not so much for his own sake as for the sake of others. It was done on purpose that believers might learn to receive and to contemplate with reverence his divine power and that the weakness of the flesh might not make him despised, end quote. So the visible descent 
of the Holy Spirit was designed in order to show God's anointing upon him. That's very important. Show God's anointing upon Jesus. Just as Samuel visibly anointed David as king, the most unlikely of the sons of Jesse, he did so in order to make it plain to all that David was to be king. And so Jesus, the rod from Jesse, the rod from the stem of Jesse, he has been publicly anointed by the Spirit as he's baptized by John the Baptist, and he's declared to be the Son of God and the Lord's Christ. He says in verse 3, chapter 22, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And then we see the genealogy which connects Jesus to the entire race of Adam and as a son of God. So we see the genealogy portraying Jesus as the son of man and the son of God. And what does this son of man do? He immediately goes into the wilderness and confronts the devil, the thing that Adam could not do. He could not confront, or he did not confront the devil, and he did not overcome him. Instead, he fell to temptation and sinned, and all humanity sinned with him. And we see here, this son of Adam, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, has gone in power and has confronted the devil and overcome him. And then we see his ministry as he goes throughout Galilee as a powerful one. And it was renowned. And so he comes to the synagogue. He teaches in the synagogue and it says he's being glorified by all. People are amazed by the power and the authority with, with which Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. So he comes to his hometown and he gets up to read. Now, William Barclay, in his, uh, in his commentary on Luke, he says that the synagogue meeting for the Jews, it was split up into three parts. Worship, where the prayers were offered, uh, then the scripture reading, and it says where about seven people would read the scriptures, and then teaching. So they did not have a professional minister. The president of the synagogue would invite any distinguished teacher to come forward, and this is how Jesus was afforded this opportunity. He was a distinguished teacher, as we saw. It was renowned. He was teaching in all these other synagogues. So he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, uh, where, where he was uh, brought up in Nazareth with uh, Joseph and Mary and the rest of his family, and they ask him to teach. And this is how he gets up and he's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so we see the anointed ministry of the Messiah in a favorable year read in verses 18 through 20. He's handed the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We just discussed what that looks like with Jesus. How? He was anointed, how the Spirit was upon him. And so now he is reading this passage and declaring this to his hometown. And he says to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the 
Lord. We see as he's reading this, the ministry of the Messiah, the anointed one of God, is going to be an active one. And it's also going to be an audible one. There are going to be proclamations made. So it's not just going to be a lot of hot wind. But there's going to be visible signs and audible gospel that's preached. He's describing the acceptable year of the Lord, the time of Jubilee. And in the Old Testament, the time of the Jubilee was the year every 50 years when everything was reset. Those who had had lost land, it was returned to them. Debts were forgiven. Everything was made new so people wouldn't lose the inheritance of their fathers. It was restored to them. It was a glorious time. It was a favorable time. This is the time that he is describing. All of these actions, all of these proclamations are going to to be evidence of the acceptable year of the Lord in a magnificent way that's never been experienced before. And as you go through, Luke, these things actually happen. You see these visible things happen. We do not live a Gnostic faith. Christian, take heart. We do not live divorced from the physical. The spiritual and the physical are present and married, and we see that working through the Messiah, the work of Christ. So as you read through Luke, you see these things come to fruition. He's not just making a statement, and everyone goes, wow, that's nice. Boy, that sounds good. I wish it were so. He is actually declaring this is going to start happen, happening, and he's doing it to his hometown, to the people that he grew up with, the people that he built houses for and furniture for, the people that knew him. He was declaring it to them first. He was describing the ministry. One of the things that's really struck out to me, stuck out to me, is that he, he declares he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. It's been a very difficult season for my family for a number of reasons, and I'm not going to go into the details. But one of the, the, the things about Jesus Christ is that the Holy Spirit anointed him in order to heal the brokenhearted. If you are going through a very difficult time, if you've lost a loved one, if you are losing heart yourself, if it just seems like it's hopeless, Jesus Christ has the power to heal that broken heart. He does. And I'm not saying that glibly. Just like I discussed, it's not a Gnostic faith. Jesus Christ has the power to heal whatever grief you are going through, to comfort you in whatever way you are mourning, in whatever way you're scared. He has the power to do so. And it's one of the things that is proclaimed in the gospel. To us poor people, us poor wretches, is that we can have peace with God because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We are no longer destined to be sons and daughters of disobedience, living in darkness and hating ourselves and hating one another. There's good news to poor people like shepherds in the field or like Seth Dean in Virginia. This good news is glorious. It heals. It sets free. These are the things that Jesus Christ came to do, and he did them. He accomplished them. 
There is nothing that Jesus Christ purposed to do that he did not accomplish. When he was on the cross, the last words were, it is finished. So if you have faith in Christ, you can have faith that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He is the author and finisher of our salvation. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, he will finish that faith. You will finish that race. So take heart, Christian. You serve a glorious Savior. And so that brings us to the idea of the anointed one. The anointed one of God. Messiah means anointed. It's also what Christ means. Christ is the Greek word that is like Messiah. It's the Greek word for Messiah that means anointed. They're interchangeable. Christ and Messiah, they are titles. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It is his title, the anointed one. And all the implications behind that. And that's what the Jewish apostles declared to all those that they preached to. They declared that Jesus was the Christ after his resurrection. This is important. Because when Jesus sits down, this is the proclamation that he makes in verse 21. And our third point, the proclamation. He says, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So when he sits down, he's not done. When he sits down, the person teaching, assigned to teach at the synagogue, they would stand up and read. And if they needed to interpret the the language that was done while they were reading, then he would sit, he'd roll up the scroll, hand it off, and then sit down. That's when the teaching began. So when he sits down, he's not being disruptive. He's sitting down in a position of authority. And what he's now doing is he's declaring, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what is he revealing to these people? He is revealing that he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. These things are going to happen. And this is the thread of the revelation of the Christ that we see throughout Luke. It begins at the beginning. Gabriel reveals to Mary the name of the Son of the Most High, the one who would be conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. That name is Jesus. In Luke 1, 31, what does Jesus mean? It means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. When you say the the name of Jesus, remember every time you are declaring Jehovah is salvation. Not me, not you. Jehovah, Jesus is salvation. The angels, when they declare to the shepherds Jesus' birth, they say in Luke chapter 2, For there is born to you this day in the city of, of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, to you and I, we imagine like baby angels at church declaring these things. And we say, ah, yes, yes, this this is profound. But no, it is profound because the shepherds are hearing that the anointed one of God is born. The Christ is born in the city of David. That's monumental. 
Now, on the eighth day after Jesus is born, he's not named Jesus yet. They would circumcise him on the eighth day, and then he was named. So on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph, they take their son to the temple, and then he is circumcised, he is named, and then Simeon, who was promised by God that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died, he took Jesus in his arms and declared, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace, according to your words, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's declaring that he has seen the Lord's Christ. He has seen the Lord's salvation. He has seen Jesus. And then we've already discussed how Jesus, after being baptized, overcomes the devil and then he goes to his hometown, he reads this passage in Isaiah about the Anointed One, and declares to his friends and his family this bombastic truth. Then ultimately, they reject it. They reject it on the basis that he then tells it that the Gentiles could be saved by faith. So they reject this proclamation. They think he's loony. They want to throw him off a cliff. Now, who's the next person in Luke to declare that Jesus is the Christ? It's a demon-possessed Jew. And what a shame that the only other Jew that recognized him as the Christ was one who was demonically possessed. And that happened in Luke 4.41. Who is the next person after that? Peter. Peter, he says, when Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And upon this rock, I will build my church. It's revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. That's the great conflict throughout Luke. It's the great conflict about the Christ. That he's been revealed, but not only that, that he has to suffer and die in order to achieve salvation for his people. And this is the gospel. This is how it's proclaimed. This is how it's lived out. This is how it's visible. And this is how Luke ends. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 48, And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all Things must be fulfilled which were in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. This, this was the message that was preached by the apostles. That's what they declared. It's what they proclaimed. Jesus is the Christ. And he suffered and he died for us. He was raised from the dead on the third day. He is alive forevermore. This message is the message that will be preached to all 
nations. As Christ has said, it's been written down in the scriptures. It will happen. And what have we discussed? Jesus, whatever he put his, whatever he purposed, he accomplished. He did not fail in any way in his mission. And the gospel will be preached to all nations, Jew and Gentile. This is what he did, and he began in his hometown of Nazareth. And after his resurrection, this ministry began on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the holy city. And then from there, it spread. It spread throughout Judea, Samaria, and Ethiopian heard the gospel. The Gentiles heard and believed and received the Holy Spirit. Missionary journeys were organized and churches were established in the surrounding nations that the Jews had, had they, they rejected them. They did not believe salvation could come to the Gentiles unless they became Jews. And now this glorious message of the gospel was going out and Jesus, the anointed one, of God was proclaimed. The gospel was preached to the poor. The, the brokenhearted were healed. Those who were oppressed and under the tyranny of the devil, they were set free. The blind received their sight. The acceptable year of the Lord was proclaimed. People, Christian. Our mission is glorious. Our mission will not fail because the word of God will not fail. We do not serve a savior who's failed. Every word that he spoke will come to pass. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. Our mission is to preach the gospel like Christ preached. To preach the truths of the gospel as Christ preached. To do it with authority and to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. Dwelling within us. Anointing us. Filling us. Empowering us. To become more like him. And also to minister like him. This is what Christ did. This is what the apostles did. And it started in the hometown of Jesus. It started in the city of God, Jerusalem. So start in your hometown. Start with your family. The people that you know, the people that you work with. Declare these things boldly, unashamedly. If they reject you, it's, it, you're not a failure. They rejected Jesus. If they hate you, it's not because they just hate you, they hate Jesus. Rejection doesn't mean failure. It just means you are being faithful. Remember, salvation belongs to our God. Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is the Christ. He is the salvation of God. And people who reject him reject the salvation of God. But they trust in him and believe on his works and not theirs. And they're saved. And all you are doing is being faithful to your calling. The apostles weren't failures when people beat them up and kicked them out of cities. 
They remain faithful in their ministry. So do not let the, the numbers game discourage you. Just be faithful. Be faithful. The grace of God will cover the things that you're lacking in. And if you're brokenhearted about your friends and family, he will comfort you in that and ask him. Ask him to save them. So Christian, take heart. Jesus Christ is a glorious Savior. He is the anointed one of God. And his Holy Spirit has been given to you to also accomplish the mission that he's given to the church. So proclaim the gospel boldly. Do not shrink back. And watch the amazing things that the Lord does. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for these people who have heard these words, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and anoint them with your power so that all of us may proclaim boldly the anointed one of God, Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we faltered and feared. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and fill us with courage so that we may be bold ambassadors for Christ and accomplish the mission that you've given for us to do, the works that you have set us apart to do since before the foundations of the earth and we can walk in them. Lord, I praise you that all that you've ordained will come to pass. We praise you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Battle and the Bride. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. For more information, visit thebattleandthebride.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at thebattleandthebride at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless.